You are looking live at chicken dinner. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. I think I'll take two chickens. Go on riverboat gambling trips. You're gonna die for some chickens. Hey, what's your chicken dinner? Someone is. It was feathers yesterday, there was no chicken. What you got riding on this game? My daughter. What a gambler. It's chicken dinner. Hey, Babalugas, we got a bet here. Here's your host, Sam Panianovich. It's called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner right there, boys. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. How about that? Uh, away we go. Chicken Dinner Friday, November 11th, 2022. Follow on Twitter at ChickenXDinner. DM's always open for you. And subscribe so you get this mother clucker once it goes live. We will talk to Mark Zeno from PicksWise and SportsGrid later on in the show. We discuss Chicago Bear overs, maybe one of the best bets in football going forward, competition in the military, and Mark's favorite bets this weekend. The beginning of college basketball season is always a roller coaster because the lines are puzzling. And you know what I mean by that. I want to show some love to my guy Dave Klein in Chicago. Now, Dave and I exchange notes from time to time, and usually we wind up on the same side. He sent me a message on Wednesday, and Dave is a funny guy, so this is how the exchange goes. Samuel, hi, hello, how are you? Why is Louisville minus eight tonight? Why, why, why? Now, so you understand, Louisville was an eight-point favorite against Bellarmine University. On the surface, you're like, yeah, wait, what the hell am I missing here? So I'm not deep in college basketball yet because college football takes up 70% of my time with all the teams and games. NFL keeps me busy as well. So I'm not in college yet, college mode, if you will. But after a couple minutes of research, turns out Bellarmine can score, and they are returning four starters. So I told that to Dave and said simply, I don't have a bet. Because I have learned my lesson over the years, even with friends. Forget listeners I've never met, with friends. If somebody says, hey, What's up with Louisville Bellarmine? And I go, well, yeah, I like Bellarmine. And Bellarmine gets drilled. It's my fault. I didn't even like the game. So I now close every message with, I either bet this or I didn't bet this game. So I tell Dave, look, Bellarmine can score. They bring back four starters. I don't have a bet. He says, okay, fair enough. Interesting. We'll watch it as I parlay it with Brother Rice this weekend. (laughs) Brother Rice is a high school team on the south side of Chicago. After Bellarmine upset Louisville, Dave chimed back. Sports are weird, man. (laughs) He's right. In no way would you think that Bellarmine should be an eight-point underdog at Louisville. Oklahoma State, on what was it, Wednesday night or Thursday night? An eight-point favorite at home against SIU. Yes, the Salukis from the Missouri Valley. What am I fucking missing here? You're thinking. SIU wins outright on the road, catching eight. Now, there are some big numbers, like Baylor was laying 45 first couple nights. They win by a million. You know, it's just tough because you can do all the homework in the world and still be off on how these teams perform. We read the Blue Ribbon College yearbooks. We study the Athlon stuff. All this shit. You can be prepared. But I like to watch a couple weeks of the season. Those that have followed me and listened to this show for years know me well enough. I wait until Maui. I like a sample size in college basketball. Now, every once in a while you get a team like Bryant 
last two years. We knew they were going to play with pace and tempo, and they were a top-five team last two years. That is sort of an outlier. You get a team like that, cool. You hang on to them and you ride them early. But I am telling you with full honesty that I am not ready for college basketball. So I am not going to be firing three, four picks on things I don't know. I may give a bet here or there, but with the college football work and the NFL work, it's too hard right now. But I had to laugh. You know college basketball is back when people are asking you, why is Louisville only minus eight against Bellarmine? There you have it. All right, football picks. I'm going to go with four this week. Might add another one. Not sure yet. Wake Forest, minus three and a half. Syracuse, plus seven. Lions, plus three. And the Washington football establishment at plus 11. They take on Philly. And Philly, of course, undefeated and laying big numbers basically every time out. So we'll start with the college games. Wake is facing a tragic defense and tragic might be a nice word you look at wake they've lost a couple in a row sam hartman's been uncharacteristically bad after throwing only three picks in his first six games this season hartman hurled three at louisville and three more at nc state last two weeks to say that's uncharacteristic is a massive understatement But I want to turn the page here because now you can buy the dip on Wake at home laying three and a half, and now the line is four, but we sent it out on Twitter at three and a half. North Carolina's defense blows. Easily the worst in the ACC. The Tar Heels are giving up 457 yards per game. And I fully expect Hartman and the Deeks to right the ship. And the point total tells you, look, defense might be optional here. 77 the over-under, at most sports books. So if you're watching this game, you're going to see some back and forth, some Energizer Bunny. I just can't stop thinking about buying low on Wake and Sam Hartman. And I will bet against the worst defense and lay the three and a half with Wake. With Cuse, this is something that I'm trying to uncover here. Now, I don't know this with certainty. And again, none of this stuff is ever 100%. But I think there's a decent chance that quarterback Garrett Schrader comes back for Cuse. He missed last weekend's game against Pitt with an undisclosed injury. And Dino Babers, Orange head coach, has been really weird this week, rather mum about Schrader's status. Now, we do know it's not a concussion, but it's difficult to confirm anything at this point. If Schrader goes, though, this number evaporates. I was talking to all the books, all the guys in Vegas – They are basically 50-50. They don't think he's in. They don't think he's out. Like, they're on the fence. So, if Schrader turns out to be ruled in for a night game at the Carrier Dome, 8 p.m. Eastern, this line is going to go from seven down to what? Four, four and a half. And as I look at the board now, I see some seven and a half. Circa has an eight. South Point has an eight. Westgate has an eight. And a lot of seven and a half. So if you're asking right now, do you still like it at seven and a half, eight? Yes, I do. Because my position is based on the gamble or the dice roll that Schrader becomes available. And if that's the case, you're going to have a better number than me. Good for you. But I was happy to take seven because taking seven in college football is worth the risk. I didn't want to miss seven. If it went down to six and a half, 
come on. So, look, you got a better number? Good. Take it. NFL. I love the Lions. It makes me uncomfortable how much I love the Lions. There's have a quarterback now. Justin Fields was awesome against Miami last Sunday. An NFL regular season record, 178 yards on the ground. Local sports radio exploded on Monday. I was in town. I went to the game, Bears-Dolphins. One station anointed Fields as the best quarterback of the NFC North. I'm like, holy shit, here we are. This is why you can't have nice things in Chicago. The ironic part is that the Bears still gave up 35 fucking points and lost. Think about that. And now Chicago's laying three to Detroit. Two and a half starting to pop at a lot of spots. The Bears' defense is just a nightmare right now, and that's what's important. Roquan Smith, Robert Quinn, gone. The front seven is going to be a turnstile for the next two months. The pass rush is almost non-existent, and even with Smith and Quinn, the Bears couldn't stop the run. Home field is irrelevant to me in this game. I make this game a pick em. It should be a pick em. Okay, I'll give you Chicago minus one. In no world should these guys be laying three points. Even against Detroit, even against Houston. Give me a break. The issue with Fields is that he can't stack good games together. Now, look, if I'm proven wrong and he comes out, runs for 120, throws for 200, and the Bears win by three touchdowns, I will eat it. But I will be happy to bet against it. And you're going to give me three in a game that should be a pick 'em? Come on. Is he the best quarterback in the North? Um, No, he's not. Now, it's a different conversation. Who do you want next five years? Yes, I will take Justin Fields. Who do you build a franchise around? Justin Fields. Who's the best quarterback right now in the NFC North? Not Justin Fields. And the last game, you know it, it's a number grab. I'll take 11 with Washington. They've been feisty since Taylor Heineke re-entered the chat. And it makes sense because he makes smart plays, quick decisions, and he gets the ball to his best players and gets out of the way. And I also find no coincidence that the football team has played in three extremely close games since Heineke took over for Carson Wentz. It's never easy, ever, to blow out divisional opponents. And if the football group's front seven can slow the run and keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket, it'll be tough for Philly to blow the doors off. This won't be popular, I know. You won't like it, I know. But I'm willing to take over 10, plug my nose, and take the points with the Washington football conglomerate. Heineke makes plays. I remember the playoff game against Tampa the year the Bucs won the Super Bowl with Brady and Gronk. That was the toughest game that Tampa pretty much played. So I'm taking the points here. Not popular, but it is what it is. We have to discuss this. The bartender is white hot all of a sudden. Last five picks, 4-0-1. He's on fire! Had the Vikings, again, minus three, push. But then he came out Jets plus 11 
outright winner against Buffalo. I don't know what's going on. I saw that pick and laughed. I thought, oh, the Bills are going to win by 30. He's on the Vikings. We know that. The Vikings have been rather lucky this year. Six straight wins by one score. Whatever. So our guy is now 9-8 and eight this season. So he's up a little bit. 44-58 and 58 all time. And people texting me Wednesday, DMing me Thursday, calling me Friday. Where's the bartender pick? I, I don't make the pick. I don't know. When the pick is in, the pick is in. You'll know when I know. I can guess. I can make some assumptions on who he's going to take. You know, it looks very easy for him to take Minnesota again. That would be very bartender-like to take three and a half and the line open nine. Let's see, who else could he take? Seattle? Seattle would be sort of that public dog. I'm trying to think like an idiot now. Yeah, I guess Seattle makes sense. They've been hot, and Brady's bad, the line is bad, the receivers are bad. I could see the bartender taking the Munich game, and also not knowing it's in Munich. Like, he probably thinks it's in Tampa. I could see him laying nine and a half with the Chiefs. I could see him laying one with New Orleans. I don't know, though. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to get too deep into it. You'll know when I know. I promise. But it's fascinating. Now, like, it's done a 360. People were banging on my door to find out who the bartender had so they could fade him this season for the first time ever. Who's the bartender got? I need a winner. I, my mind is blown, too. Blown. Um, I wrote this story up on NessonBets.com about Georgia and potential point spreads in the college football playoff. So I spoke with Kenny White. He's got Georgia as a touchdown favorite against every school in the country but two. Take a guess. You know one of them, Ohio State. The second one, you probably wouldn't guess, Alabama. So if these games were to happen, and again, these are hypothetical, and obviously Alabama has two losses and has to leapfrog four teams, but Kenny, who makes numbers for decades in Vegas, gives me this list. Georgia, minus one against Ohio State. Georgia, minus three and a half against Alabama. Georgia, minus 7.5 against Michigan. Georgia, 8.5 on Tennessee. And then the next four games are all double digits. 14 versus LSU. 15 versus Oregon. 16 versus USC. 17 against TCU. Which, if you rewind back to earlier this week, the CFP selection committee put out the new rankings. One, Georgia, two, Ohio State, three, Michigan, four, TCU. So if the Bullfrogs and Horned Frogs meet in the national semifinal, Georgia will be around minus 17. And Kenny says it wouldn't even be close because TCU plays no defense and Georgia could probably name its score. So that's the potential if TCU wins out, which, again, I don't think they do. I mean, hell, they're a seven-point dog against Texas this week. So I asked him, like, wait, what's with the Alabama thing? I mean, Alabama stinks this year compared to what they've been over the last decade. 
And it's wild to me that Alabama gets that much more respect than Tennessee, Oregon, TCU. But then again, I would probably bet Georgia against Tennessee, Oregon, and TCU. It's because respected players would grab anything higher than plus four on Bama. There's this aura around Nick Saban in these playoff games. It's also no secret that his teams tend to perform pretty well with extra time to prepare and scheme. It doesn't hurt that the Tide have pros all over the field. But again, they're dead in the water. They have two losses already. And they got four teams to leap over. Kenny says he thinks Ohio State and Michigan could beat Georgia in the playoff. But that's about it. I don't think Bama gets in. Nobody thinks Bama gets in. I mean, they're 10 right now. But I hope to see Georgia-Ohio State. And look, that number, I know that Georgia is favored here, but that number is super respectful of Ohio State. That would be strength on strength. Wide receivers against corners. O-line against D-line. Ooh, I hope we get it. And these semi-games, most of them have been awful last couple of years. But if we can get Georgia-Ohio State in the playoff, that would be something that I would be all for, no doubt. Two more things before we get to Mark Zeno. I'm going to breeze quickly through a story that David Purdom wrote about suspicious betting. Did you catch this? It was a UFC fight, and uh, let's see, it was last weekend. It was Nordenbeck against Minner, and a lot of weird shit going on leading up to the event. So money poured in on the favorite to win by knockout in the first round and for the fight to last fewer than two and a half rounds. Like bang, 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 Nordenbeck, all these different ways. And then the odds moved from minus 220 money line to minus 420 hours before the fight. If you didn't see it, 30 seconds in, Minner threw a left kick. It looked like it hit Nordenbeck's hip. And then Minner was done. He reached for his leg. Nordenbeck closed in, hit him with a couple shots. This thing was over at one minute, seven seconds in the first round. But the sports books are like, wait a minute. Like, we saw all this weird action hours before the fight. And then what was wagered on actually happened. So this stuff all got passed along throughout the day to U.S. Integrity. And that's Matthew Holt's company. They basically investigate line movements and strange activity. And the quote that Holt gave ESPN was that our goal as always is to notify the industry of any potential nefarious, abnormal, or suspicious activity. In this case, we hope that by sending a couple hours before the fight started, we may have helped prevent some more suspicious bets from getting through. So they didn't stop everything, but they got the reports and they turned it over to gaming. The UFC responded on Monday. I'll give you the cliff notes of it here. Like many pro sports organizations, the UFC works with an independent betting integrity service to monitor wagering activity on our events. At this time, we have no reason to believe either of the athletes involved in the bout or anyone associated with their teams behaved in an unethical or irresponsible manner. Uh-huh. The plot thickens. Minner, the guy who went down in round one, is coached by James Krause who's a retired fighter and a sports better who hosts a podcast called the 1% Club 
and hosts a Discord channel that features his betting tips. <laughs> so his fighter is about to get knocked out early, and people are like, wait a minute, did he leak anything? Kraus did not respond to a request for comment. So the guy clearly isn't healthy. He shouldn't be out there. And his trainer runs a fucking betting chat and a betting podcast. That's incredible to me. Because you have some potential insider trading here. Potential. I don't know this for sure. I wasn't there. I don't even bet the UFC. But when a flood of money comes in against Minner in the final hours before the fight, the books start raising red flags. The Lions go to minus 400, minus 450. The guy gets bet to win in the first round and by knockout. All of that happens. And the coach of the guy who goes down is a betting guy. Like a, you know, a tout. (laughs) So I'm going to pay attention to this because I'm fascinated by this story. How can you coach a boxer, a fighter, a UFC guy, and also give gambling advice? That seems like a conflict of interest, no? Whatever. And how's this for a transition? Our buddy John Murray at the Westgate Superbook passed this along. UFC 281. Murray and a couple of his bookie buddies in the desert have seen some very sharp play on Alex Pereira. Yes, the Alex Pereira who is taking on Israel Adesanya in the main event. Now, Adesanya got bet out to minus 215 or so, sharp and public, let's be clear. 70% of the tickets on Adesanya. But there's a sharp group that is now hitting Pereira, plus 185, plus 180. Understand, this is an underdog. It is likely he doesn't win. You know that. Well, now you do at least. But Murray and a couple other guys have been peppered by bets on the dog from respected groups and respected players. That's all I'm going to say. I will get a little invested at plus 180, and that's all there is. Joining us on Chicken Dinner, you can find our guy on Twitter at Mark Zinno. You can also see his work, PicksWise, SportsGrid TV. He does some work for VSIN from time to time. The one and only Mark Zinno. What's up, pal? How you doing? Sam, it is, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure, brother. I got to tell you, I go back all the way to the early Chicken Dinner days. That's how I found you. Uh, that's, that's where I fell in love with Sammy P and all the work <laughs> you guys do at Chicken Dinner. Love the pod, man. Love the show. You guys, are, you guys are amazing. It's great to be on with you. More honor or more pleasure? Um, I, I always like to put honor a little bit above pleasure. That's the military man in you. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of pleasure, we were both on the same game this weekend. Now, you had the Bears plus the points. That was a roller coaster. And I talked about this on Chicken Dinner last week, Mark. The fact that Chicago stunk to begin with on defense. Then they go out and trade their best pass rusher and their best player, Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith, on top of the fact that now Justin Fields is starting to get the training wheels off, that team, honestly, the rest of the way, might be one of the best overbets in football given the way these games could go. Yeah, Lamar Jackson doing his best uh, – I'm sorry, Justin Fields, rather, doing his best Lamar Jackson impersonation just said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to go back to doing what I did best. And, look, the other part of this is let's not underscore what Matt Eberflus has done – from a coaching standpoint, because maybe he allowed the training wheels to, to be taken off. Whereas Matt Nagy, we know, you know, he's kind of like a putz as a head coach, uh, didn't want the training wheels taken off. Justin Fields is starting to do things 
that we thought he, we would see him do coming right out of college, which is why he was drafted so high. And so I'm with you. I think this is a, is a team that you can actually get behind uh, certain certain spots situationally, particularly at home when they play there. If they are laying points, I wouldn't be totally opposed to it. I hope they keep undervaluing. Like this week is a little bit rough against uh, against the Lions. It's a weird sort of matchup, but. You know, again, I, I think there are certain spots where you can actually back this team to cover numbers given their offense and what they can do. But, yeah, I mean, wh- why not ride the overtrain until it crashes? I, I'm telling you what, you look at their schedule, and there was a game that everything sort of flipped, and that was the Minnesota game on October 9th. But the first four games, under, under, over, under, and that over was sort of a janky over. It was 23-20, over 40 against Houston. But then they started to do this designed run slash bootleg thing with Justin Fields in that game against Minnesota, and he lit them up on the ground. And when you have to account for that as a defense, it makes the running game better. It makes the passing game better. Everything changes when you have to sort of spy the quarterback and account for him at all times. So the Minnesota game, from that point forward, over – under on Thursday night, that shitty game, 12-7, which you kind of throw that game out. Yep. But over, under, over, 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 and they have scored 33-29-32 and 32 in the last three games. And I'm telling you what, the way that this team is going to give up points is going to create urgency for this offense. So I, I think we, we may be on to something here. You know, there's going to be a lot of points in the Detroit game, a lot of points in the Atlanta game. This could be something to check out here. But how do you feel about a team like an undervalued team that's been good as a dog? They've been pretty solid as a dog. Now they're laying three points. Do you tend to like kind of sit on the sidelines for a game like that, Chicago-Detroit? I, I will. I look, let's go back two weeks ago um, to the Carolina Panthers-Falcons game where the Falcons were 6-1 and one against the spread. And I kept yelling at people. The wrong they, they do not deserve to be favored by four and a half over everybody. And I think you you had said the same thing that week uh, on several different shows. But as soon as the line came out, I go four and a half by the foul. That's insane. They were they were six and one because they were a double digit dog against the Rams. They were a touchdown dog against the Bengals. They were a touchdown dog against uh, somebody else. I forget what. Like they were just getting big numbers that they were continually staying close in. But that doesn't mean they should be favored by more than a field goal. And it's even interesting this week with the Falcons. They were favored by four and a half at home. Now they're favored by three on the road on a short week. Uh, it's like another situation where the Falcons don't deserve to be favored. So back to your Bears, though, it's the same thing. It's like, eh, I mean, if this got down to two and a half, the number says lay it with the Bears at home. I don't think it will. I, I think, you know, the, the public and Justin Fields will start to mesh at some point later in the week. Uh, and people will forget that the Lions actually won a game last week because the Packers are so bad. And we focus on the good team being bad, not the bad team actually winning a game. So I think this gets to three and a half for whatever gets down to two and a half, but I, it wouldn't be a bad bet at all at three on the Bears. But two and a half, you'd get me, you'd get my money. Which team can you not figure out this year in the NFL? <laughs> Dear Lord, uh, you know, I, I wish I could figure out the Cleveland Browns. Um, they should have a heck of a lot better record than what they do. Uh, I've backed this team in several spots thinking situationally they were going to be better uh, or, or they were going to be worse. Again, I, I backed them against the Falcons, and I don't know what uh, Kevin Stefanski was doing down the stretch there and not giving the ball to Nick Chubb. And then they laid that stinker against the Patriots. I took the points there at home. Uh, they played great against the Ravens, keep themselves in a game there. You know, they go out and they whoop up on the Bengals. It's like, 
you know, uh, which team is going to show up week to week. And maybe that's a product of the quarterback not being, you know, anything consistent, uh, which is what you should expect from Jacoby Brissett. But given the coach and the running game and the talent they have on defense, I was expecting them to be have a little bit more consistency in some of their outcomes this year. Yeah, for sure. And then it's going to be an entirely different offense when Deshaun Watson comes back. But yeah. has he been working out? Is he in shape? Has he been going through his P's and Q's? Like, we don't know that. We're all going to find that out on the fly uh, relatively soon here. As we talk, I'm looking at this. We're taping this on a Tuesday afternoon. I keep watching this Minnesota side get whacked. We're at five and a half pretty much everywhere now, which it still feels like a halfway number. You know, they opened it up nine, and then the report came out about Allen's elbow, and we're at, you know, five and a half pretty much everywhere now. But if Josh Allen's ruled out, Mark, there's no way that line is five and a half. Like, it might be three. So this is still sort of that halfway number. And if you're willing to gamble, you could take Minnesota plus five and a half, and then maybe you could come back and middle that on Buffalo minus two and a half, minus three. I think that's the fairest plan to do. I mean, look – Buffalo this year has this weird dichotomy with their home road splits. You know, they're averaging 28 points a game. Everyone's like, okay, one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. Go look at their numbers. 35 points a game at home, just 22 on the road. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know what's going on with Allen and everything else. Now, uh, part of me wants to take, uh, you know, wants to wait and see when Josh Allen gets ruled out and then take Buffalo, just take Buffalo straight minus the two and a half. Cause I don't think they're losing this game. I think Minnesota is prime and Kirk cousins prime for a stinker. When I got videos of Kirk cousins dancing shirtless on a plane with chains on, you know, Kirk cousins, somebody who should never be feeling himself ever was feeling himself a little bit way too much. Uh, and I, I think Minnesota still to a certain extent is a paper tiger. You know, I, I don't have a ton of faith in them to go in and win games against good teams. And regardless of Josh Allen here, Sammy, Buffalo's defense isn't the issue, and that's really where this game's going to be won is that they're going to shut down the Vikings' offense. So, you know, I, I think you wait this out. I'm with you uh, as far as watching the public money come in on Minnesota. But the Vikings under Kirk Cousins typically follow two game scripts, right? And especially when they're favored. And, and typically it's three and a half, which I'll never like three and a half with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, period. But it's either they get up big and then blow a lead and end up winning by the field goal. Or they find themselves down by 17 early, have to rush all the way back and win the game by two. Like that's the Vikings seem to get into these scripts. At least they did under Mike Zimmer. Things might be a little bit different now under under Kevin O'Connell. I think we may be seeing that a little bit. He's, he's certainly better at closing out games because there's a ton of close games that the Vikings have been in this year post the Eagles loss. And they seem to be on the right side of all of them. So um, I, I think this is probably a little bit too rich for me to be laying this many points with the Vikings. I took three and a half in the super contest with Washington. Felt lucky to get out of there with a win because that they were down 10 and then Heineke kicked the back door wide open. But you are totally right about Minnesota. And I sort of talked about this last week. They have won, it was five, now it's six. Six straight games by one score and they've won all of them. It's going to catch up to them. It's almost impossible to keep that up. Even the Giants didn't do it. The Giants, their their first six games were all of one score, but they they lost one to the Cowboys. So it, it, you can't keep playing with fire because eventually, just you know, football is going to catch up to you, right? Uh, th- that one pass that you caught that it isn't going to get caught, you know, uh, you're not going to get that extra flag. There's just so much randomness to it to win games by one score, uh, particularly games on the road per se. And y- y- again, you know, the Vikings are a much different team at home 
than they are on the road. And that's the other thing. Going into the environment in Buffalo, you know it's going to be loud as hell. And the Bills off a loss. I mean, even if I get me, if you give me Josh Allen at 75%, I could still back the the Bills here uh, at anything under six because I I think easily they'll win this game by a touchdown. The NFC is going to be a fascinating postseason. I keep saying that. I think it really is. In some weird way, it's wide open, but it's also top-heavy. If that makes any sense, like we know Philly's the cream. There's a clear line across the league right now, Sammy. Like the teams, if you don't have five wins at this point in time, write your season off. You're done. Like with the exception of the NFC South, because nobody has five wins, somebody's going to make the playoffs there. But if you don't have five wins by now, you're out. Like there's, there's the three win, four win teams can't catch you. And, uh, and if you don't have that many wins, you're not going to catch anybody above you without a, a ton of help. So if I gave you right now the option, like if I made this a bet and I said, all right, you could take Philly or the field to win the NFC, which way would you go? I'd go the field. Um, you know, maybe it's just the fact that I grew up a Giants fan that I, I don't want to back Philly. Putting my emotional bias aside. It's personal. Yeah. <laughs> Putting my emotional bias aside. Like, Philadelphia has yet to be tested in reality, other than the Vikings game. Um, and, and I suppose you could say the Cowboys, but again, you're dealing with Cooper Rush, not Dak Prescott, so... What does that really mean? Um, and, and, you know, I, I think when you get to the playoffs, right, and you have to go through, let's just say, win. and if they're the number one seed, they only got to win two games, right? So it's it's a whole different world uh, to get to the Super Bowl. But uh, if somebody ends up catching them, you know, to get, let's just say, you know, the Cowboys on a week, then the 49ers on a week, you know, back-to-back games, it's like you have to play perfect two weeks in a row. Uh, and you have to if you get the Cowboys and the Niners two good run defenses, you know the team that's that's second in that is going to benefit by what you did to try and skirt the run against the first team, right? And so that's what makes it tough because the coaching and the advanced scouting in this league is so good sometimes that th- these coaches know how to get one step ahead. And, and that's the other thing I really don't know about Philadelphia. Like, what do we know about Nick Sirianni as a coach? I mean, his team's played ahead for pretty much the entire year, so he's never really had to be in a situation to manage a game. Because he's always playing with a lead. You know, that's that's the one benefit Philadelphia has had. When they are trailing in a game, I want to see where they are. I want to see how they get out of it. Nobody's put them in a negative game script. With the except, I think the Jaguars did early. But part of that was a pick six in the rain, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah, the initial touchdown by by Jaguars was it was a pick six in the first quarter. And then all they did in the second quarter was shut them out and go out and score three straight touchdowns. And the game was over. But get me, get me a team that could put Philadelphia in a negative game script, and I'm really curious to see what I get out of Nick Sirianni. Well, it might not happen until Christmas, buddy, when they face the Cowboys. <laughs> I mean, the schedule is not tough, and that's not exactly their fault. I mean, if, if you're the Philly uh, fan base, you don't give a shit. You just want to win games. They've only beaten one good team, I would say, and that's Minnesota, and that was a buzzsaw in Week 2. They beat the Cowboys with Cooper Rush. They beat the Steelers, the Texans, Jaguars, Cardinals, Commanders, Lions. There's a lot of crap there, but look, you only play who's in front of you. I just I don't want to short them because they haven't played anybody. Right. They might very well be the best team in the NFC. Like, I don't want to hold it against them that they haven't played many good teams. A hundred percent. Like you, you can't do anything other than look at the team that they're playing that week and judge them off who they are. To 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 go back and look at their last four wins and go, well, they haven't really beat anybody. But again, I'm a big game script guy, Sammy. They haven't trailed. 
against anybody. It's not like, you know, they have had to come from behind and win games or, or they've had to get the benefit of, of something quirky happening, a PI call or whatever, to get them and steal a win. They've been winning the games by more than one score for the most part. They've dominated early on. Their run game is really hard to stop. So, yes, you, you shouldn't take anything away from They should theoretically roll the commanders on uh, on Monday night. Uh, but if, if the Washington rush defense is as good as it's been as of late – it could present a little bit of a problem, but in reality, until you see the Eagles stumble, um, if you're not laying double digits or, or you're under a touchdown, it's hard not to just logically back them until you see otherwise. How competitive is the military? And what I mean by that is how competitive are the games where you're throwing rocks in the sand or shooting what I, like, how competitive is it being in the military? Uh, everything tends to be a competition from physical fitness to, you know, when you go out on the range and you have to qualify, I'm holding up my paper paper target next to yours comparing, oh, well, you just got yours inside the black. Mine was dead center of mass inside the black. I mean, there, there's a lot of that. There, there, I mean, competition breeds, you know, just a, a better version of soldier. We're always trying to push each other and uh, we keep we rank everything and keep score of everything. Right. Like we, we always do. Uh, you, when you're getting evaluated, they give you one of four blocks, whether you're a top block, second block, third block or bottom block. You know, everybody is always getting ranked. So. Uh, if you if you believe in competition and you believe in rankings and scores and everything else, the military is a place you'll fit in well because it affords you the opportunity to always at least theoretically, you know, come out on top and be ranked number one. I've spent weekends away with all military guys and they can make the most competitive thing out of nothing. <laughs> Let's play bocce. I'm like, we don't have any bocce balls. We got fucking rocks. You know, like, and we're like, we're throwing rocks on this beach for eight hours, eight hours. Yeah, uh, that's you know what that comes from. That that comes from uh, deployments when you're bored as hell and you're sitting in a foxhole, you're sitting at a checkpoint or whatever, and nothing is going on. You're just like, dude, we got to do something to entertain ourselves. I got an idea. Let's see who can hit this thing first. You know, um, boredom. It, soldiers get dumb when they have a lot of free time. <laughs> you know, just they, their mind just starts racing. We're not idle people by general in the military. So when you try to make us do nothing, you know, stupidity reigns supreme, and somebody comes up with a really bad idea that everybody, you know. Everybody giggles at. It. I mean, hell, when I was on one deployment, uh, we we set up a tee box on the top of roof of our building, and then built a floating green out on a pond. And we used to go hit balls off there uh, and try to try to land it on the floating green until somebody shanked one into a general's caravan, and that ended that whole ex- expedition real quick. That so. party was over at that, that part point was over very very quickly. <laughs> Uh, I got a couple more questions I want to ask you. Uh, again, we're taping this early in the week, and I, I do, before we get out of here, I want to ask you about the games you've circled, whether it be college or pro coming up this weekend. But do you get involved with the Maxion? Do you, do you do the Tuesday, Wednesday roller coasters? Because I, you know, on our shows today, there are three games on Tuesday and three more on Wednesday, and the producer's like, I want a best bet for every game. And I'm like, I can't give you a best bet for every game. Because Maction is – it's impossible to handicap some of these games. Do you do a lot of Maction? Yes? No? No. I mean, for that reason at all, for that reason alone, it's, it's there's so much variance, right? And there's, it's so many things go untold. And it's like, you know, football games and, and football players in general, you know, that schedule that they're on where they practice and then they, uh, you know, they have a game and then they have six, you know, day off and then five days of practice and another game – 
you know, when you throw them off that schedule, just weird stuff happens to their bodies. Weird stuff happens to their mental preparation. You know, guys aren't ready and they think they're ready and they cut corners and they don't take care of their bodies in the tub and, and physically. And it just, it creates so many things that are unexpected. Uh, and, and, and while we don't really notice it all that much, I guarantee you those guys will tell you they hate playing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They'd rather play every game on Saturday just the way it is and be totally content with it. So uh, I look to the to, to the better guys who study Maction more than me. Obviously, you know, we all have a lot of friends who we, who we trust and handicappers that we like. You know, I look to those guys if I can read a really good angle or see something that they're on it, add a little, my, a little bit of my own research in and just kind of sort of codify them and, and validate what they're saying. I can certainly get involved. I got no problem placing a wager. Shocker. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like I, I for me to handicap it, I just generally don't watch enough of it on my own. That's the other part of it. You know, like I don't want I, I, I won't handicap the, the Sun Belt all that often unless it's like teams in Georgia that I know because that's where I live here in Atlanta, you know, and teams that I've, I've covered before that I can understand where they are. But, you know, again, Bowling Green, Kent State, not what, how many games are those <laughs> I'm going to watch? I watched Kent State when it showed up to Georgia to get their ass kicked. That was about it. Well, and then you have a game, you know, this game will be over by the time this episode drops, but Eastern Michigan played yeah. its last game on Saturday, October 29th. <laughs> so they've been off for a while, and I promise you they know Akron sucks. So those guys probably went out in Ypsilanti on Saturday and got bulldozed, and now they got to recover all day Sunday travel on what Monday night or Tuesday morning to play Tuesday night in front of 72 people at Akron. Yeah. <laughs> just, not an environment that's very conducive to winning. <laughs> hey, and they still might cover. That's the crazy yeah, part right, about exactly. it on a pick six or a block punt or some bullshit. Um, yep. all right, Mark Zeno, uh, like I said, it's early in the week. Um, you play college, you play pro, um, you know, as we do this right now, we're days away from the big Saturday and the big Sunday cards, but uh, have you circled anything on uh, on the board yet? I'll give you one of each. Um, fading Steve Sarkeesian as a favorite is one of my ultimate favorite things to do um, when it comes to college. This is too many points for Steve Sarkeesian to be laying. Uh, it just is. Like I, I, I understand that there's this there's this feeling that eventually TCU is going to have a bump in the road, right? Like they, they can't just keep winning the way they have been. They've had to come from behind a lot, uh, and and eventually they're going to get caught sleeping. But, you know, when you look at this matchup, obviously you're getting an offense in TCU that's number one uh, in the conference. Max Duggan leads the Big 12 in passing yards. TCU also leads the conference in rushing yards per game. Like this is an offense that comes at you for a full 60 minutes. They average over 70 plays. And unless Texas can put together a defensive performance like they did against Alabama uh, back in week two, where they forced them to punt on six consecutive drives, including four consecutive three and outs, and still in that game, Sammy, the Tide managed almost 400 yards of offense. This is an offense in TCU that averages nearly 500 yards, and they will convert a lot of those yards to points better than Alabama did back in week two. I know that TCU, I'm sorry, rather that Texas can still run the ball. They've got the best running back in the conference, B. John Robinson, um, and and he leads the conference in rushing yards, and they could control the pace that way. But Steve Sarkeesian, coming into this year, only covered 41% of the times as a head coach. The Longhorns failed to cover this year as a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Oklahoma State, a seven-point favorite at Texas Tech, and a 15-and-a-half-point favorite hosting Iowa State. Their two covers that were over uh, a field goal in conference game came against the bottom feeders in Oklahoma and West Virginia. While I think Texas might be able to win this game, I just don't trust Sark to cover this game. I'll take TCU 
and the points. Um, a little disrespect here from from uh, from the committee after TCU getting seven uh, in this spot. And then on the pro side, I don't often run to totals, but this one sort of jumped off the board at me. And it's going to sound crazy, but the Giants in Houston, uh, total now has already been bet up uh, sharply from 38.5 to 40.5. I still think we get there. These are two of the worst run defenses in the league, and I know that running usually equates to lower totals and things of that nature. But, you know, between Saquon Barkley and Damian Pierce, these are guys that have big, explosive, home-run-hitting type plays, and they're going to be able to eat chunks of yards fairly quickly. The big question here is that do they end up settling for field goals or do they end up getting touchdowns? My hope is that they'll end up getting touchdowns here, but uh, the Giants coming off a bye and Brian Dayball, I know that buys aren't what they used to be as far as teams covering and things of that nature, but uh, they've had an extra week to prepare. The Texans you know, ran into a buzzsaw that was Derrick Henry the last time they played, So, um, and Philadelphia the last two times out, but the Giants aren't either one of those teams, especially not defensively. Right, the Giants are—they can give up twenty points defensively easily. So, uh, I, I kind of feel like this is a spot here for both these teams to put up some points, uh, and, and I'll take the over. That's at least what I'm looking at early on here. I want to see how much more this moves because the sharps moved it off of forties. I think it's, as long as I stay under forty-one, that key number there, I, I'll, I'll go to the over. I'll get to the window on the over before Sunday. That is Mark Zinno. Follow on Twitter at Mark Zinno, Z-I-N-N-O, PixWise, SportsGrid, VEASAN. And he does a really great podcast for you military people out there. He's been doing it over five years. The Hazard Ground, hazardground.com, at Hazard Ground. You do everything, man. And I appreciate not only your service, your friendship, your time. And I, uh, I wish you best of luck this weekend with your winners. Sammy, same to you. Always, this is now always a pleasure to be with you, but it's a great honor to be on, on the pod with you, brother. A big fan listen every single week. So uh, great, great to be with you. Thanks again. That about does it for Chicken Dinner. Thanks to Mark Zeno for hopping on the show. Record check. We are up 1.2 units. Four in the hopper here. Wake Forest minus three and a half. Lions plus three. Syracuse plus seven. Commanders plus the 11. Coming up on the show, one of our favorite guests next week. Cash of tickets, make some money. We'll talk to you next time right here on Chicken Dinner. So you'll be the greatest man alive